ask you to turn your Bibles to Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy. Remind you that we've kind of flipped things around last week and this week from our Hebrews series in the evening and Timothy in the morning. Tonight we're looking at Timothy. And Lord willing, well, next week we're actually getting into the Easter season and so things will change again. Tonight we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 8. Children, here are your questions for this evening. God has provided deacons to care for the church. Do you know who the deacon for your family is? If not, ask a parent. Two, who are deacons supposed to imitate when it comes to serving God's people? Three, deacons do their best to serve the church as leaders. It takes a special amount of kindness, mercy, and wisdom to be a deacon. Will you pray for your deacon with your family today? First Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 8. This is the word of God. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. So Lord our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the many different things that your word addresses. Lord, most of all that you've revealed yourself to us and you've revealed our Savior Jesus Christ to us in your holy word. But we also thank you for the love that you have for your church and the way that you've designed a structure for your church that will bring honor to you and glory to you and also benefit those who are part of your church. Tonight, as we read what you have given us to teach us about what deacons are to do, we ask that you would help us to see how you're honored through this office. And Lord, we certainly pray for our deacons that you would help them to serve you well, bringing you glory and for the good of the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the office of deacon is a noble task alongside that of the elders. We looked at the elders last week. They're different offices. They're both ordained for the good of the church. They're both ordained to keep the church in good order and to watch over it. Uh, in fact, we have the same vows for deacons as we have for elders. They have to believe in the truths of Scripture. They have to be sound in their doctrine. They have to be solid people. But their office is somewhat different. They're under shepherds in a way, like elders are, but their office is different. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be able to teach like elders have to be able to teach. They're not necessarily guardians of doctrine, even though they have to hold to sound doctrine, and they don't typically deal with some of the gnarly things that elders often have to deal with, especially when it comes to issues of discipline. But their office is very serious office. It's 
a weighty office. It's an important office. It's something that God has given to us. They are under the authority of the elders ultimately, but we have to make it clear this is not what's often perceived to be kind of a management employee situation or a white-collar, blue-collar situation. They're complementary offices to work together with one another. I've been in situations where they didn't work well together. There seemed to be this tension between elders and deacons. I've seen our own church come a long way, actually, in that relationship that they share with one another. And I can honestly say now I think that we have such a great relationship between our elders and deacons that there's a real sense of harmony and a real sense of working together well. So I, in front of you, will praise the Lord for that. That's not always true in churches, so we should not take that for granted, but be very thankful. Uh, deacons are granted a degree of authority in their respected areas, and another note that deacons are not necessarily uh, in queue to become elders. They're actually different offices. Very often deacons do become elders, but that's not the way that the office of deacon is designed. There are some prerequisites for deacons. Some may be very obvious. First of all, they need to be converted people. They need to have surrendered their lives to Christ. And that might sound obvious to us, but I know of churches, even some churches that, that pride themselves on sound doctrine, pride themselves on being biblically conservative, but are still willing to have unconverted deacons because they see it simply as a practical need and they don't, they don't necessarily feel like they have the men that are converted to serve in the office, nor do they necessarily meet the qualifications. I firmly believe and believe that it's scriptural to say that a church would be better off without officers if they're not converted and if they're not qualified. They would be better working without those officers, if at all possible, certainly not ordaining men to office who aren't converted. Uh, it's an ordained position. It's laying on of the hands of ordained by God. And so they're commissioned to serve him. The second thing is that they're to have Christ-like character. Now that's to be expected of all Christians. That's no surprise either, but they're to have Christ-like character. But in particular, they have to have a servant's spirit. The word diakonos is actually simply means servant, and all Christians are to be servants, but deacons must have a special measure, special measure of sympathy and gifts of service. And so those are all kind of prerequisites or things that have to be in place before we can even get to the qualifications. They're to be Christ-like. They're to be Christ-like in very evident ways. If you look at Luke chapter 4, if you want to jump over to Luke chapter 4 just briefly, we get an idea of Jesus redemptive ministry but when we look at Jesus we also see that he is the greatest example of mercy of what a deacon would be and so we can glean from what we learn from the life of Jesus and his ministry of at least some of what a character of a deacon is to look like so Jesus is reading from the scriptures uh, he's in the presence of many who are witnessing this and I'll simply read what he says in Luke 4 18 about himself in fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, obviously, those are things that have to do with Jesus' redeeming work, but it's also exemplary. If you look at each one of those things, there are people who need mercy. There are people who need tender care, and that's what Jesus offers them. We read in Matthew, as Jesus begins his ministry, his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Time after time again, Jesus shows mercy and kindness to those who are needy. He also reaches out to the outcasts. He's not afraid to align himself or associate with sinners. You remember how he got in trouble for that. But that's a spirit of mercy. It's a spirit of ministry, and that's what deacons have to have. Interacting with the afflicted. Uh, We have a model of the division of labor in Acts chapter 6. Remember, the apostles weren't able, weren't, Uh, were too busy to wait tables, and there was a dispute within the church. Uh, Men were appointed to serve as servants to take care of the food needs of the widows. It's not necessarily the uh, the institution of deacons there, but it's certainly a model of the focus of what deacons do. Our book of church order makes it very clear that the office of deacon is spiritual. I think very often the office of deacon is seen as purely practical. Purely practical, but the office of deacon is a spiritual office. Men given to the service of Christ, men given to the care of the body of Christ, men given to prayer, spiritual men. Well, now we can look at some of the things that are characteristic of those who are equipped to be deacons. First of all, the qualifiers. And the first one is that they're to be dignified. This is sort of the the big picture, the overriding picture of what a deacon is to be. They're to be dignified men. They're to be respectful men. So when you see the deacons come up here, note that they're dignified men and that they deserve your respect. And so that's an important part to remember. Paul says they're to be dignified. Then Paul gives three negatives and then two positives. They're to be truthful. I'm putting them in the positive, but the real thing is there, they're not to be double-tongued. The word that Paul uses there is die to logos. And it's normally translated double-tongued. And so they're to be people of truth. They're They're not speaking with a forked tongue, as some might say. They have a special ability to control their tongues, especially because they're sometimes dealing with very sensitive issues. And so they have to have people's confidence so that people can trust them so that they can help them. But if people can't trust deacons, and if they can't trust elders, and if they can't trust pastors, then there's a problem. And so they're not to be double-tongued. The second one is that they're to be sober. They're not to be drunkards, and no one should be a drunkard anyway. But it's requisite, it's prerequisite, it requires that they, they are sober because being a deacon requires sound judgment and they can't cloud their judgment. Now, further, by the way, if they imbibe too much in alcohol, alcohol is known to loosen tongues. Tongues get lubricated by alcohol and those, if they're double-tongued at all, they start wagging and 
speak out of turn. So that's maybe a real practical reason why they can't be given to much wine. They wag their tongues around under the influence. A third, they are to be content. And again, the negative thing is that, that they're not to be greedy for money. They're not to be lovers of money. Sometimes the King James puts things well, enhancing things well, not greedy of filthy lucre. Not greedy of filthy lucre. In other words, they're not corrupt when it comes to dealing with money. And that's obviously very practical. They're not going to be tempted to steal money. Remember, deacons are to manage the money in the church. And so they're not going to be tempted to steal money from the church. They're not greedy for that. Uh, They're also to be wise with regard to money and prudent with their own money so that they're prudent with the church's money. So those are three very practical negative things that, that deacons need to be aware of and that we need to be aware of when we're considering deacons. And then the positive things, and I trust this is positive, just like with the elders, they're to be the husband of one wife. They're to be singularly devoted to the wife that they've married. And there's only to be one. And that's stating the obvious. I elaborated that more with the elders. And then they're to have stable families. Stable families. One of the things that's been pointed out about Acts chapter 6 is the issue that the men who were serving the tables were dealing with wasn't only that the widows were being neglected, and it wasn't only to get the food to them, but it was to maintain unity in the church. Because remember, there was division over that issue. Right, The Hebrew women were being treated one way, widows, and the Greek women were being treated another way, and it was up to these men to go in and bring peace and to bring unity. And so one of the things that would be attached to the work of a deacon is to be unifying elements within the church. Well, isn't that one of the things that, that the head of a household is to do with their own family, right? Father in the household is to be a unifying element. Uh, very often it's the mother who's the peacemaker, but really it's up to the father first to be that cohesive element in the family that keeps the family together. And when there's, when there's division, when there's strife, they're to bring the family together and work on that. So they have to be tested that Uh, They can manage their own families. Then there are capabilities. They're to be sound and solid in their understanding, uh, it says, of of the mysteries of the faith. And this isn't some kind of secretive mystery. When you read about the mysteries of the faith in the context of the true faith, it really is the gospel. It's the gospel that's been revealed. They have to understand the gospel and to get to get in a spot where they can defend it well. And so those are some of the things that we need to keep in mind with the deacons. I ask in our front load group this question, how is is this distinctly Christian and not just a good catalog of leadership skill for any organization? And up until we got to... uh, Understanding the mysteries, sound and solid, you might just say, well, these are good organizational skills, something that any company would profit from. But remember, these are all in the context of serving the church, and so I think the answer to this was a very good one. One word, motive. One word, motive. What makes this distinctly Christian? I'll read the direct quote. There is one qualification mentioned exclusive to the church office, And that is that the deacon must hold to the deep truths of the faith 
with a clear conscience. The others are suitable for leadership anywhere, but here the motive is or should be a concern for the care of God's people, his church, the body of Christ. And so the whole motive is seeking the honor of Christ and seeking the good of the church. I think that's a great answer is how this is distinctly Christian. And then the other qualification is, again, that they would be tested. But in this case, they would be tested as blameless, above reproach. We saw that in Elders 2. In Elders 2. So I'm going to read the summary for us from our Book of Church Order. I know you could read it yourself. It's right there in your bulletin. But for anyone who might be listening, uh, but it's also good to reinforce these things. This is a simple summary of deacons. The office of deacon is set forth in the scriptures as ordinary and perpetual in the church. The office is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of saints, especially in their helping one another in time of need. It is the duty of the deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. It is their duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church to devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people, to distribute these gifts among the objects to whom they are contributed. They shall have the care of the property of the congregation, both real and personal, and shall keep in proper repair the church edifice and other buildings belonging to the congregation. And so you see some of that stuff is pretty weighty. And some of that stuff requires exactly that Christ-like character that I mentioned earlier. If you're going to, to be minister, ministering to those who are sick and to the friendless, to be a friend to the friendless, that sounds like Jesus to me. Anybody who might be in distress. And so there's that part of it. There's the spiritual part of it. There's that ministry to one another part of it. There's encouraging the congregation part of it to be generous and to be unified. And then there is the practical part. But Paul's careful to mention wives. He doesn't mention that for the elders, but we can assume uh, that it naturally applies to elders' wives too. But if you look at verse 11, I'll read that again. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. We need to remember that, that wives of deacons are not called to office. But they do need to be trustworthy. They do need to be trustworthy. It's not as if deacons or elders are to give confidential information to their wives. But very obviously, officers' wives are going to pick up things and understand things, but they're to be very wise in the way that they handle any information that they might have. That is so crucial. I often stress, and I firmly believe, that officers in the church are not to bounce everything off of their wives. Spiritual and wise and with all the intuition that an officer's wife might have, they are not. They are not to be counselors to issues in the church to the elders and the deacons. Confidentiality is crucial. It's very interesting that Paul is careful to say that they're not to be slanderers. And Paul's not saying that women are particularly given to this. I mean, all of us are given to that sometimes. We're given to gossip, we're given to slander. But he's, he's making sure that, that they're not 
they're not able to be accused of being slanderers. You know what the word for slander is? You probably recognize it. It's diabolos. Diabolos. Slanderer. Specifically, one of the names for Satan. An accuser. The devil. Do you recognize it? Do you recognize how diabolical slander is? It's where we get that the root of our, our word comes from this diabolical act of wagging our tongues in negative ways and divulging things that we shouldn't divulge or slandering or putting down an individual unjustly. So the wives are held accountable too, and the deacons in particular are to hold their wives accountable just like elders are. Well, then there are the duties. Then there are the duties. Uh, when we think of deacons, please, please do not think of them as, as bean counters. Don't think of them as bean counters, that they simply deal with the money in the church. As we read, they're to deal with the facility, if there is one. They're to be stewards of what God has provided for us. Uh, stewards not only of the physical facility, although I will say that deacons should not be those people who are do-it-yourself people who aren't going to delegate. That's how deacons burn out. They need to find help. When the deacons call a work day, when the deacons say, we have a need, rise up to that need, and I know that you do, and I think that's another blessing that our church experiences that not every church has. But when the deacons ask for help, listen. When we have a special financial need, when we have a special physical need, those kinds of things like that, listen to the deacons. They're called to do that. Uh, they're to deal with the money. I often joke that we often forget to ask deacons when we're examining them, can they, can they count and can they add? And then on behalf of the wives, I should probably ask, and how fast can you count and how fast can you add? Because kudos to you deacons' wives and families who hang around a long time sometimes as our people, as our deacons count our offerings. But that's part of their responsibility, part of their duties. Uh, maintenance and then mercy. Again, the title alone is a major part of what deacons are to do. Uh, mercy. Men of compassion. Men of kindness. Men of discernment. Finally, coming with this are the blessings of serving in office. This section ends with Paul writing, For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Someone put it this way as a segue into this. He says, Deaconing is not for the faint of heart. Much of it is thankless, grunt work, not stage work, but there is a promise. And then he goes into verse 13. The promise is this, that the office of deacon is one of respect and it's one that builds confidence and boldness. Good standing, good standing with the people of God. Honor the deacons that serve well. Their faith is proven and they're proving their faith by honoring God, by serving in their office. But also when someone serves as a deacon faithfully, serving obviously as a faithful Christian, but then as a faithful officer, as a deacon, their confidence and their boldness will build as a result. 
Those might seem like untangible things, but they're real. The blessing of serving is something that we often overlook. And so I guess I would close by saying, as I said with the elders, support your local deacons. Pray for them and pray that they would serve well, serve the Lord well and serve the church well, because I know that that is their desire and they need your prayers and they need your support. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for your love for the church. Lord, we don't ever want to overlook the fact that your assigning officers to your church is a blessing from you. We thank you for the elders, and today, tonight, we thank you for our deacons, our very specific deacons who serve us right here and right now in our church. And we ask that you would bless them and give them all the grace and wisdom and compassion and all those things they need to serve you well and to serve your people well. And so bless them, we pray. And we do pray, as we prayed for elders and deacons, that you would raise up from among the body of Christ here men who are qualified to serve and willing to serve to bring you glory and to serve in your church. And so we come to you tonight with thanksgiving for your love for the body of Christ. And Lord, as again we go into a new week, may it be for each one of us to serve you and to honor you and to seek your glory and to be a benefit to the brothers and sisters and also to the lost around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.